1: So one of the challenges, um, and this is less about artificial intelligence, this is about another technology. But one of the other requests was, we need to educate our our populations on evacuation routes.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Ian Weekly Show, your emergency management podcast. This week we are talking to the founder and CEO of the Field Innovation Team, also known as FIT. And you may have heard Desi on our webinar in March because she was one of the panelists. And the FIT organization is a great program that brings together leaders from robotics and community justice programs, design, technology, and more. It's like our own little walk-in TED talk. Thank you so much for listening. And now on to the interview. Well, I'm excited to be talking to a creator of another nonprofit that does really great work um, in the emergency management field, specifically a lot in the recovery side. And that's kind of my passion as well. I have Desiree Mattel Anderson here with me. We're going to talk about her organization and and herself. So Desiree, welcome to Ian Weekly.
1: Thank you, Todd. I'm so glad to be on it. So to, how did
0: you get involved? I mean, I look at your background and, and you know, you went to law school and you've done a whole bunch of other cool stuff like that. And then you ended up creating a nonprofit organization really focusing more on the recovery side of things in the holistic community. How did you get started in
1: that? You did your homework. A lot of people don't actually know that I'm an undercover lawyer, but I do <laughs> use it for good. Um, yeah, actually, uh, that started, and that is a, that's an interesting question. I, do, um, I don't always tell people how, how I got started in emergency management, but many of us uh, get a start very unconventionally. Not all of us have a traditional start to response and recovery, but, um, but we had an active shooter, actually when I was in law school, um, and it was an incident, and I happened to work for the university while I was getting my law degree. So unfortunately, this is about a decade ago, and there had only been uh, two major incidents from Virginia Tech um, to Columbine at that point. So this one was the third really big nationwide incident. And um, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know how to help. I had, you know, I was in the library at the time. Uh, The shooting happened in the auditorium across the street. But uh, we barricaded the library, uh, which had big glass doors. So I'm not sure how much that would have helped. Uh, but we, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know how to help the students. Um, there was one faculty member, a librarian, who, who kind of stuck his neck out for everybody and started to organize uh, what was a pretty chaotic situation. But what I realized is um, I, it really put me into uh, quite a, a awful, it was an awful experience to not have the tools or the resources to, to help and support so from there um, I got into emergency management and started working at local uh, regional and then at the federal level um, and I, I truly believe that all of us have the capacity to do response to innovate in real time and to, to make to save lives um, we just need to to have those tools and we need to know that we can do it where each of us can be a responder
0: well that's a pretty amazing story and, and- talk about being pushed into a a career field without having, you know, that experience, maybe you would have been doing something else, but I'm kind of glad that that experience actually was able to make you help other people. That's, that's an amazing story.
1: Definitely. Actually, if I wasn't, if if that hadn't happened, I had my eyes set on just moving to Africa and working in the humanitarian sector on the legal side. uh, And I'd done that the summer before. So um, I, I still do a lot of work uh, across the world, um, but now it's more focused, um, it's actually all focused on emergency management.
0: So tell me about your organization that you've created.
1: So f- the field innovation team, um, FIT for short, uh, we, we got started in 2010. It was just a very organic group and um, the shooting had happened in 2008 and I had gone from the cornfields of DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, to another midwestern town, my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and during uh, during my um, I guess my tenure at uh, the region at the regional level, um, we had a major flood uh, that had happened in 2010. That we we di- weren't able to get a declaration. Chicago got a declaration, a federal declaration. Other cities did, but for some reason, our region and our city, um, we just. We didn't do our damage assessment, uh, probably didn't do it correctly. The first time we'd done one at that size and that scale. And so a team of us started um, outside of work, thought we need to come up with an unconventional way to support damage assessment. And so we got together in this warehouse uh, in the middle of, of uh, the inner city of Milwaukee. I don't even know if we had heat. We just had a little carpet. We weren't even, there might have been a couple mismatching computer chairs. We just started coming up with different ways that we could help uh, these communities, help our community to to overturn this denial of a federal declaration, because there's a really deep need uh, for resources. So literally these people from technologists to artists, there was even a graffiti artist, I think, um, people from all walks of life, university students, uh, we were all kind of sitting here in this warehouse, um, and we started redefining some of the terms that FEMA uses. We we started thinking about how we could create a different process to get more accurate damage assessment, and then of course line that up with the city and the county and the state, um, and went uh, for a second like to overturn that dec- the denial of the declaration. So the beginning really was pretty humble, and it stayed humble um, as I continued to kind of move my way through the emergency management world. Uh, I ended up at FEMA, and I, I think a lot of the reason I was at FEMA in 2012 was because our team kept going around the nation and doing these innovative projects with communities, um, and I think it caught the eye of, of folks um, in leadership there at the time. So um, so the team kept growing, but we, we were still very, very organic. Um, I was still paying out of pocket, and people were – we stayed everywhere from fire stations to libraries with park rangers to – um, I think a tree house once, uh, so that's kind of interesting, but we were still very organic. So then, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of, a lot of interesting barns. Um, sometimes in disasters, uh, you just have to stay where you can find a place to have a roof over your head. Um, and sometimes you don't even have a roof, um, in some of the situations that we'll talk about later. But, um, but anyway, so the team kept growing, uh, and then we formalized in 2014, actually became a nonprofit, got that, um, through the government super quick. was surprised I didn't think it would be that quick and now the team isn't just nationwide but it's global and the great thing is is we get called in uh, all over the place from the Middle East to Canada to US Mexico Um, we've even had some deployments in Europe so um, we just get to go all over and work with communities and governments on really complex challenges.
0: That's really cool it really is and I was looking at your your for lack of a better term, your your uh, request for employees, but they're not really employees. They're all volunteers, right?
1: Innovators. Yeah. yeah innovators. Yeah. There we
0: go. Thank you. Innovators. And it's technologists, which is like computer stuff, uh, designers, uh, artists, communications uh, experts, social justice advocates, robotics, pilots, community organizers, environmentalists, mm-hmm. food system experts. I mean, like if you have some skill uh, basically and you want to help people, y- people could join the the fit team or I guess that's that's a redundancy fit and and really help out right
1: definitely yeah I mean we even had because uh, we hold we try to host an annual boot camp it got a little busy the last year but um, but we've even had former astronaut like a former astronaut come to our boot camp and what was really neat is everyone has a different perspective but his perspective was when he was in space he, they always had to innovate they had disasters happening all the time and on his shuttle. While he was up in space, um, the uh, the heating and the cooling had something had just ruptured, from an engineering perspective, and they can't just call up maintenance and say, "Hey, can you beam somebody up to space to help us fix this problem?" It's about 90 degrees in this in the shuttle right now, and we're all we're all floating around in our underwear. Uh, no, it had to be the team. They had to come up with a solution to, to this challenge. And so he started applying a lot of his uh, space knowledge and space technology um, to some of the challenges that we faced. So yeah, it's definitely diverse and we like it that way. So one of the
0: things I teach about um, at a couple of my classes is really the collaborative working with emergency management and response and really bringing the whole community into uh, as a solution. And I think that in the traditional model of emergency management, we've seen a lot of top down. We're going to tell you what's going on. I don't care what you have to say. This is what we're doing. And then now that we have the professional model of emergency management coming in where it's more collaborative prior to an event, it seems like your organization really fits in that collaborative even prior to a disaster occurring, um, how how do, how does that work? How do you get your uh, team into organizations, uh, into counties, into cities to really work with them?
1: Yeah. So sometimes it is literally, uh, we get a call. Like we did get a call um, from Strathcona County um, a couple of weeks ago and our our friends there had to handle a, a bombing incident that had happened at a library. This is up in Canada. They did a fantastic job. They had a pretty specific mission for us. Uh, we accomplished our mission, did it within uh, 24 hours, which I was surprised because I thought it would take us a little longer, some of the engineering and, and mathematics parts of the, of, of the calculations that we had to do. Um, so sometimes we get a call like we did there, and that was really great because those are partners who are on the cutting edge, and they're really thinking about how to push this field. Um, and because they're thinking of that and they're using these diverse stakeholders like our team and others uh, to solve these really complex challenges, um, they end up saving lives because they're able to expedite their response. So so sometimes it's a call. Um, other times it's uh, it's a group we haven't met yet. Um, we, we've had conversations uh, with some folks after the earthquakes in Mexico. And um, un- unfortunately, they had... They had quite a few deaths, but they also saved a lot of lives because of some of their good and structural building code, um, and also lots and lots of volunteers that they had in the streets literally working. And so, so that's a group we didn't, weren't familiar with. We got called in and physically went out there and helped to support. Um, other times, it's, it's, we run this thing called a do Tank. Have you ever been to a Dew Tank, Todd?
0: I have never been to a Dew Tank.
1: So this this as a spin-off of the creation of the FEMA think tank. And the FEMA think tank was a, actually was developed at the local level by myself and a couple of great innovators during that 2010 flood. Um, and it, so we worked really hard to build out those blueprints and then uh, lobbed it up to FEMA. Um, and then I, I went over there to help support running it. Uh, it trended globally, it was really a fun, a wonderful experience to do that. Um, and, I give a, I give credit to that community for building that out, and I really think there's a lot of unsung heroes that I wish um, I wish still would have had a little bit more time on that. But the think tank then morphed into a do tank. Um, we were working with New York City Emergency Management and um, basically uh, and Con Edison and power and utilities to come up with a scenario, a preparedness scenario on uh, on a outage, a big outage. Uh, during the Tribeca Film Festival, and a mentor of mine, Craig Hatkoff, who is one of the co-founders of that festival, said, um, "Desi, I think you need to change your name." And I said, "Craig, I think we do too. Uh, we're really not just talking about it. I was a lot of the conversation when we were doing the think tank and just coming up with ideas. But the truth is, you're you're not just doing that. You're not, or you're not just thinking about it. You're actually doing it." So why can't you change that think tank and call it a do tank? And um, I, I thought that was a brilliant idea. So in New York City, we made the decision, started calling it a do tank, um, really started out of in a Tribeca neighborhood. And so we, from there, um, when we're not deployed in disasters, we run this preparedness do tank. And that gives us an opportunity ahead of time for people and, and emergency management and responders to know our process, because we have a framework of innovation that we do, a three-step process called the three-step prep. And from the three-step prep, we run this dew tank and simulate disasters in people's emergency operation centers. And in fact, um, we're going down to HCMA in D.C. Uh, to work with the National Capital Region Emergency Managers on a dew tank in, in a week. So that's another way we get to know people, is by running these do tanks uh, before an emergency.
0: I love it. Do tanks. That is, that is fantastic. Let's talk about your three-step prep. What exactly is that and how does it look?
1: The three-step prep uh, came out of a lot of, a lot of observations. So we do a lot of, uh, it's really fun. We work with um, anthropologists and epidemiologists on all kinds of projects, um, but designers as well. And uh, there were a couple of friends on the design side who had said, you know, Desi, I, I think you should start looking to see if, you, if you're if you seeing a pattern. You've been doing for this for almost a decade plus. Um, maybe there's a pattern of the success because how can you spin up this amazing uh, medical mobile unit in Rockport, Texas after a major hurricane and that somehow seems to work and that I want to give credit to Heather Krause who is a community member who's really truly led that effort uh, through and through throughout. Um, but then, or, or how does your team run a robotics petting zoo uh, to help uh, quell violence? Um, so we're able to do the work and get in there and help support the response. And so so I started to, we started to document um, myself and a few designers to watch the steps that it took for us to get to these really crazy solutions, like flying drones in a mudslide in 2014, which we did FA approved and incident command approved that uh, was not a rogue operation or 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 how we decided a 3 d printed topography map like what how did those come so so the three steps are really simple, and it was distilled down after looking at it time and time again, and we start with step one it's the what? what are we solving for? and you're probably looking at me right now um, and thinking, okay, well. If it was a mudslide, I'd be solving for the mudslide. And I'd say yes, but a lot of times in disasters, there's more than one what you could solve for. And in, in the robotics world, in a lot of technologies, in anything that we do, we've got to get focused on what it is that we're solving for. In that case, it was the mudslide, but it could have also been power outages. It could have been the fact that the roads were closed. There was a highway that was blocked off from the mud. Um, so, so that what's really important. So that's the first step is the what. Um, the who and the why is the second step. Who are we solving for? So a lot of times we're solving for community members. Uh, one time, recently we were solving for a mayor um, There was a British, there were some wildfires in British Columbia. We went up there and um, there was a mayor who's uh, excellent and he has some things that he wanted to look at to solve for. Um, so we have to figure out who in this mudslide that happened in 2014. We solved for our who was the incident command, um, and the fire chief. We had to figure out, um, how, so that's our who. And then we had to figure out why we're solving for this person. So, so we've got the mudslide as the what step one. We've got the first part of step two. It's our incident command. Our, our second part of step two is why. Um, they have, uh, they had, they needed situational awareness in order to support their search and rescue teams and continued recovery efforts to make sure everybody stayed safe in this giant mudslide that literally took over this town of Steelhead Haven. It's known as the Oso Mudslide. So, um, so basically, here we are. Um, we know that our who is the instant command and responders. We know why is we want to keep these search and rescue teams safe so they need really good situational awareness. So the fun part is step three. And step three is where we come up with tons of, tons of solutions lots of crazy ones. And then we dial into just one. Um, and so I'll give you an example of a crazy solution that um, I think might have gotten us almost kicked out of this uh, emergency. Um, my crazy solution was, well, could we collect all the trampolines in the area to put in the mudslide, displace the weight, and then search and rescue teams can bounce and leapfrog off one trampoline to the next to get to places all over the mudslide. Now I can tell you that that wasn't going to fly. <laughs>
0: <That's>, that, <laughs> is so, a, that is such an amazing answer that I just makes me made me smile right there. But yes, that would be really hard to deploy. And I but I love the thought process on that.
1: Right, right. Think big and then you can dial in. Uh, if you think small, you're going to get really, really focused and it's going to, the focus may not be where you need it. So, but the idea was there, right? We need to get over the entire mudslide. We need to make sure we're helping with these response and recovery efforts. We need to make sure that nobody else is in a subsequent mudslide. Um, but as you, as you know, and, and I am an attorney, so I do know that leapfrogging people on trampolines, especially search and rescue team members, um, across the mudslide isn't going to isn't going to fly um, but what does fly is a drone and so what we what we ended up doing was um, getting a quad rotor working with the university um, using their COA their certificate of authorization um, and then working with the Federal Aviation Administration we were able to all coordinate and fly this drone I think it was like seven or eight times around this mudslide got that data um, and then along with LiDAR data from the state, so we went to a Washington State Emergency Management and basically said, can we have your LiDAR data? And they, they did uh, lend that to us. And we built um, this beautiful 3D scanned topography of the mudslide. Um, and so, so what started out as a crazy idea dialed into an actual idea. We implemented it. And then the incident command got this giant 3D printed topography map that was overlaid with uh, where the river was uh, or, or, I mean, where the river is where where the mudslide had happened, the moonscape, which is a really flat part of this, um, and then one of our members got a great idea and said why don 't we put on an overhead projector of what it used to be, so we can see where the river moved, uh, where the where the topography has changed, and then we could start to look at fractal structure to see where the weaknesses are, and pending on the day and the weather. Uh, we, can, we can suggest keeping uh, search and rescue teams away from certain areas uh, so there isn't a subsequent mudslide. So, so that's our three-step prep, and we, we do it all over the world, and we just got back from the city of Tampa and their emergency management. This was back in August, and we ran a, we ran a giant hurricane scenario in their emergency operations center. So it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great way for us to get to know emergency managers. It's also a great way for them to get to know us.
0: That is that is such a cool uh, such a cool use of technology right there. I'm kind of jealous. I want some of that in my EOC. Um, <laughs> Yay! Speaking of, speaking of technology, are you, are you guys working with um, AI at all? Hey, let's just take about uh, sixty seconds here and listen to our sponsors.
1: Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive.
0: I know that choosing what conference to attend can be hard. There's so many of them out there, right? Well, I think that if you miss the EMLC, that's the Emergency Management Leaders Conference, you're going to uh, just kind of be a tad bummed out. This event is great because it's only two days. It's May 29th and the 30th. It's in one room. We have access to the speakers and to the special guests and it's second to none. You know, it's one of those things where you get to actually engage with people and it's small enough to where... You can't really hide. So join me at the EMLC, the Emergency Management Leaders Conference in Phoenix, Arizona, on May 29th and 30th. So for more details, go to emlc.us and register today. Hey, welcome back from listening to the sponsors really quick. Without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here. So please reach out to them and tell them that Ian Weekly sent you. Now back to the interview. Speaking of technology, are you guys working with um, AI at all?
1: Oh, we are. Um AI is it's a it's a funny thing because there's a lot of machine learning, there's a lot of artificial intelligence and in talk of it and about from a predictive analysis, which there are some great groups that are are working towards solutions. Uh we were early adopters in 2015 um and worked with uh we started with an artificial intelligence chatbot. Um I'll give you the short of it, because there's there's so many stories, but uh but in the Middle East in Lebanon there was a surge of Syrian refugees. And we tend not to do as many humanitarian pieces, but uh, as as emergency management, we tend to stay on the side of of disaster response recovery. We got a call in from um, a group of responders, Syrian responders uh, from all over. I think they were from, many of them were from Damascus, but they were in the Bacaw Valley of Lebanon. They didn't have a lot of resources and two of their biggest challenges were they had They had some really big issues with mental health. Uh, people had seen a lot of devastation destruction, and that 's where i 'm going to talk about the artificial intelligence. The second part that uh, they had is they needed to help to educate their communities on evacuation routes in this camp that sprawled with thousands of people um, in this valley and and Although everyone was doing their best to have they had their they had their own sophisticated incident command structure um there were resources that uh, they, they didn't have. And since they fleeed their homes in Syria and now they were in Lebanon, there were some things that um, they thought maybe we could help to solve uh, with real time with them. So the first part of the story is uh, the artificial intelligence. They so started playing around with a chat bot a, a friend of mine had, had built up. And, um, and it was basically a chat bot. Do you know what a chatbot is, Todd? Or do you need me to explain?
0: Um, I do know what a chatbot is. I actually uh, use them, but you might want to explain for the audience.
1: Basically, this chatbot uh, allows you to text back and forth. You log into an application, um, and then you can have this dialogue with this with this robot. Um, it's quite nice. And the the great thing about it is we were able to code it and get it to speak the right type of Arabic. Uh, because it's very specific, and there's a lot of different, we learned that there's a lot of different dialects um, in Arabic. So, so it was able to speak a different language. Um, it was able to communicate with survivors, uh, give them an opportunity to to share their stories. And there there were very, very sad stories, because obviously, as you know, there was a war um, pretty significant in 2015, still going on, and um, and, you know, people just needed an outlet. But that goes back to the responders. The responders needed an outlet, because now they have, community that's displaced. Um, They're living in a country that's not their jurisdiction, uh, but now they have this this place that they have to keep uh, some sort of safety and control measures on. And so this allowed people to have an outlet um, because it's fiercely stressful to go into another jurisdiction and to try to establish order and to do responses because they had lots of like lots of fires in the camps um, to make sure that everybody's okay. So, um, so we had the chatbot for an outlet, and that was a great way for people to have communication back and forth. Um, and the and the robot would learn every time you would speak to it, it would learn more, and it would start to tailor the dialogue uh, towards you. So that was a really great use case for AI. Um, but the second use case uh, that I was talking about was this whole fire evacuation piece. So one of the challenges, um, and this is less about artificial intelligence, this is about another technology, but one of the other requests was, we need to educate our, our populations on evacuation routes. Uh, because they were very concerned, they had just had a wildfire a, a year ago, um, which it went ablaze and it just sent this whole tented infrastructure on fire. And so basically, um, we worked with them to use 360 uh, virtual reality, um, and well actually it started just 360 wide lens cameras it turned into VR in a minute um, and we walked down the the different routes of the camp and cor- quartered off who's going to evacuate from what direction um, and the the leader of the camp and the, res- the responders were in the camera view walking these trails and so what this allowed to do was for people to learn different ways to evacuate out we then transferred that those information that those videos onto people's smartphones because everyone in the camp had a smartphone they may not have a home but they did have a smartphone and that spread out to educate a whole community of people if there's ever a not a wildfire but an actual fire in these camps you can be able to spread so so uh spread out and you don't have to all try to take the same evacuation route we need to kind of quarter this off in order to make sure everybody gets out safely. Um, so, so AI definite use, um, another use case is the use of, uh, virtual reality. I mean, certainly we had little headsets people could put on and stick their phones in, but they could also just watch it on their phone and just see all of the angles. Um, and the reason I tell you that story, Todd, is because some of that education and that dissemination with technology is something that's going to be happening in the California wildfires pretty soon with some of our teammates. So, so you could be in the Middle East working with a community of responders who are trying to support setting up a community and, and keep their, um, their community safe. You also could be working here in the United States uh, to support uh, folks in the homeland. It um, could be a completely different disaster.
0: I, I have a couple of questions based on, on what you were saying here um, you know, with the VR. Are you familiar with the mm-hmm. augmented reality? Oh
1: yeah, and definitely.
0: I, I'm working with a. With a <coughs> I'm working with a, uh, a organization called uh, Titan HST, and they're one of our sponsors actually, and they use augmented reality. But um, so I want to go back to a couple issues with evacuation. So uh, mm-hmm. um, all right, so I'll start with this. So one of the issues that, that with evacuation that we learned uh, through the Santa Rosa fires with Google Maps specifically is people were putting in. To their uh, their phone you know how to get out of here and because google maps is looking at road biz, uh, road traffic it started sending them into the fire because obviously uh. driving right over there um and then yep. so, so what do what do you think we could do with with something like google maps to stop people from using them or stop google for sending them into where the danger zone is what do you think we could do with technology with that
1: Definitely. I think there could be an overlay of maps and uh, that, that that speak to each other. So back to this whole, I love the, I've, I mean, we're hearing a lot right now in emergency management about predictive analysis for artificial intelligence, and, and that is great. We need that um, as much as possible, but in real time, we need it too. And so I'd love to see uh, map layers played with. Um, if there is a, in the emergency operations center, if there is somebody who is mapping out where these fires are going and working with um national weather service for prediction models because we have to worry about winds uh in southern california i always worry about the santa ana winds because that was really challenging last year when we were in santa barbara and um subsequently in montecito uh, i mean actually it was ventura not montecito montecito was the mudslides it's complete year of disasters. <laughs> but um so there's always these yeah it's like one thing to the next. Fires, mudslides, um, and massive dozen hurricanes uh in 20, 2016 and twenty seventeen. But um but I, I would suggest that uh that data and those maps get overlaid with Google uh, with the Google maps and that there be some sort of AI that's interfacing between the two um so that it can it can trigger Uh, different routes, because we saw the same thing um, that happened over in Spain in the wildfires that they had when Hurricane Ophelia came up the Atlantic. It fanned its wildfires, um, creating dozens, I think there was like 100 wildfires in little pockets uh, in Spain and parts of Portugal. And some people did end up driving right into those fires. So it's a true concern.
0: And then the other part of that, too, is uh, mass communications. And this is, this is going to be a hot topic here for the next couple years, I think, especially after the uh, uh, Paradise Fire or the, the campfire which burned through Paradise. Um, yeah. You know, well, one of the issues there was, can we have smart mass communication?
1: smart mass communication yes we can (laughs) that's the answer Um, the question is we have to make some some pretty preliminary decisions on on where on how we want that to to interact and interface Um, because humans can make mistakes Uh, we know that Um, we're human Um, robots uh, tend to be more accurate but it does take a little bit of the control out of of our hands then we're We're starting to see a shift from us behind the driver's seat um, like we're seeing in, well, we will see in the future with automated cars. I think there's still a long way to go with that because of of just um, some of the sensor technology. Um, But yeah, so we we have to make some critical, foundational decisions about where we see ourselves playing a role in response and recovery in the future. And if we're okay with um, allowing our roles to be adjusted, um, then uh, there'll be a great marriage between technology and, and the human piece. But we're going to have to decide some core values, some foundational pieces first. And and I hope we do that as a as a community in emergency management. Um, I don't want to see us not progress. I want to see us go for it. I just want to make sure we do it in a really kind and careful way.
0: Oh, no, I agree with you 100%. It's just amazing. Just just reading that stuff, and and I was talking to uh, one of the person, one of the people up there, that was working in the emergency operations center, and she was really taking some stuff hard. And I'm like, look, I said, we're all here supporting you. We're just all trying yeah. to learn, trying to learn from from this. So don't take anything that we're asking as we're attacking you. We're just trying to learn. <laughs> You
1: know, they, they, they were dealt a really hard set of, of cards. We're working uh, with a whole team. I think the mayor's going to be involved in our, our, we have a weekend hackathon. I'm happy to share, by the way, if you want me to share any current events or what some communities are doing, happy to give you a roadmap on that today. Um, Cause there's really great things going on in the United States. Um, I can certainly highlight global examples, but we've got some great U.S. Uh, community partners who are like thinking like on the horizon.
0: Yeah, let's Talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Okay.
1: Cool. So lots of, uh, lots of, uh, community emergency managers around, even in our nation who are, who are really thinking on the horizon. Uh, they're, they're thinking towards the future. And so just some great highlights, um, Todd to share with you, uh, cause there's just a whole lot of, there's a lot to highlight, but I'll, I'll give a, a couple of, of, of big things. So there are communities in Alabama. In Florida and Texas, DeKalb, Alabama, which experienced uh, like 67 tornadoes back And I want to say it was like 2011. Anthony Clifton is the emergency manager there, um, and he's had he's had pretty severe weather almost every year. Uh, it's just he's in this tucked in the foothills of the Appalachians, and they just get some extreme weather systems. So between Anthony and a great team in uh, Rockport, Texas, volunteer firefighters like Jillian Tate. Um, and the team. And then in in Miami Beach with Sherry, who's the deputy director of Miami Beach Emergency Management, uh, between these three states, we started looking at one of our biggest challenges, which is figuring out sheltering. Uh, Lots of different agreements on who takes care of sheltering and how. And so these communities uh, picked themselves up from their bootstraps and said, you know what, we've experienced hurricanes, tropical storms, tornadoes, major flooding, uh, we are going to figure out a community sheltering framework uh, that's gonna be designed to support our communities. Um, in some, some situations, it's outside the emergency management to do, but whether it's your faith-based group in Alabama and the churches, or it's the fire station in Rockport, Texas, or in Miami Beach, we, we ended up in a botanical garden because if you're a barrier island and you live uh, in, and you're just off of the coast of, of Miami, you're going to take the brunt of that storm. They started looking at um, how sheltering can work. I do want to caveat that Miami Beach does not condone sheltering on Miami Beach during a major disaster. They want you to evacuate out. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes that does not happen. Especially when you have elderly uh, and functional needs and access, so so those communities are looking at innovative ways to shelter and there's going to be a guide coming out based on their inside um, that was developed by by my team at the field innovation team and then a, a, the banking system DBVA, which is an international bank uh, headquartered in Madrid Spain so i 'll definitely make sure you get that guide Todd, but that 's a really cool one. A second really cool horizon project in happened uh, in Wisconsin just recently. I got an opportunity to go to – have you been to Wisconsin Dells in, in Wisconsin?
0: I, I have not. Actually, um, I, I've been to Wisconsin a few times, but uh, mostly like around Milwaukee and stuff.
1: Okay, great. I'm from Milwaukee, so um, that's wonderful. And I hope you had um, your share of cheese and beer and enjoyed the, the riverfront uh, walkway. But, um, but in Wisconsin Dells, it's, um, it's a lot of uh, resorts. Uh, They have like the Kalahari. So at the Kalahari, a lot of health practitioners and people who work in long-term care facilities and nursing homes, we all got together and we filled this ballroom to have a conversation about preparing our communities for disasters. And what I learned from this was they were dealing with, they had a gas explosion in their community of Sun Prairie, a big one. Um, They had major flooding in Dane County this last year, and 16 tornadoes that struck uh, communities like Dodge, Sheboygan, and um, Delavan, and a whole lot of other counties. So they realized they have concern over making sure that their populations of machine-dependent people who are elderly are going to have the resources they need. And so we actually ran a dew tank on a winter storm. And all of these public health practitioners and all these responders, they came together and they started to really focus in on how they can help support um, these specific communities um, in their nursing homes and long-term care facilities. So that was another really great one. And I could go on, but uh, just to share one more um, that I, I really think is is, is great. Um, Nebraska uh, has been looking at innovative ways. Um, on transportation in the region of what's called Tremors, um, it's a it's a group of consortium of emergency managers and hospital associations and folks from all over, who were really thinking through that's it. really flat in Nebraska and they get lots of flooding, um, and they've had some drought uh, and some fear of wildfire over the years. Now the concern, or this, this last summer, was that they were going to have enough rain, that it was going to create a flood, um, and there was going to be challenges with evacuation, getting people out of areas where there was standing water. And so, um, so these communities came together, and one of their solutions was looking at alternative transportation, and they repurposed um, these, these flat boats these flat bottom boats that they have that they put on the Platte river to help with a uh, mass evacuation of, of citizens in Nebraska. And so from, from sheltering in Alabama, Texas, and Florida to transportation and thinking about it from a new lens in Nebraska and even Wisconsin looking at machine dependent populations during a winter storm or beyond um, and how they can take care um, and support these different communities all over our nation are, starting to come up with innovative ways to support their communities.
0: That's exciting stuff right there. I I love to see, you know, emergency managers and I think we can, we can be on the forefront of innovation when it comes to uh, not just emergency management, but also just helping holistic and, and, and resilient communities. Um, I think that's what we really need to be focusing on because if we can make our community more resilient, it's when a disaster does occur, it's going to make us, uh, Recover so much faster.
1: Definitely, that's definitely true. So we're coming here to the end
0: of our time, and I and I really do appreciate um, having you uh, here with us today. How can somebody get a hold of you?
1: Well, uh, I'm usually in a disaster or at a G tank, uh, but the best way to get a hold of me is through email. Um, and if it takes me a couple days. Um, I do respond. I just we just we're very active 2018, and I don't think it's stopping in 2019. So they can get a hold of me at uh, Desiree D E S I R E E at Team dot org. So that's Desiree at fieldinnovationteam dot org, and uh, they can shoot me an email. And we love love emergency managers and practitioners who are thinking about the cutting edge. And I do truly love getting emails from folks who have uh incredible ideas. In fact, um the other day I I received an email from a group out of Massachusetts um, on how they're working on some really interesting concepts um, to support with robotics and 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 sheltering uh, for survivors post storm. And so uh, there's some things that we could do to help support their experimentation and certainly they could maybe even get out in a future disaster. Um, so we love great ideas and we certainly love working with people who want to come up with great ideas. So don't forget if you, if you want to learn our three-step path and and run a do tank, we enjoy coming into your emergency operation centers and ideating with you too.
0: And then you guys also have a a website, right?
1: We do. We definitely do. And that you can get to our website at www.fieldinnovationteam.org. That's www.fieldinnovationteam.org.
0: And we'll have that information um, down in the show notes as well. So if you guys are driving or you don't have your pencil sharp, we can go ahead and just click on that. If you go to the website and or to whatever device you listen to, to the show notes down there. Okay. So here comes the toughest question of the day. What book, books, or publication do you recommend for somebody in the field of emergency management?
1: Todd, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And I got to tell you that there are so many incredible books. I have five books that we had on our summer reading list that I'm going to share with you online uh, that you could put up from uh, there's a great gentleman out of Norway uh, on crisis communications to a whole disaster hero series out of Ontario, Canada. And then there's a couple of great resources from the United States. So I'm going to send you a list. Um, so I don't lose sleep over forgetting one of these great books. And then, uh, yeah, check them out. Super great.
0: Awesome. And we'll also have that list um, on the uh, on the show notes and on the, our website as well. So thank you so much for sharing that list. I really think that reading is very important for emergency managers, not only um, just to keep your mind sharp, but also to learn what other people are doing across the world. And uh, thank you for that that list. All right, before we let you go, is there anything that you'd like to say directly to the emergency manager out there?
1: Yeah, that you you are an innovator. You may not know it. Uh, you may not think that you can innovate. But when resources are scarce, when you don't have enough people under your command, um, when your time is running out and you're in the emergency operations center, uh, you will innovate and you have innovated. Um, so each one of us ha- has it in us. We are innovating in real-time in disasters uh, all the time, every day, even in just our day-to-day. Um, so continue to do that, build out on that, um, give your staff the support to be innovative, and um, join us. We we love it. Throw us a complex challenge. Um, we're we're always up for it, and we're always getting to work with you. So keep innovating in real-time, and uh, we'll see you in the next disaster. Desiree, it's
0: my pleasure having you on this show. I'd love to do it sometime again.
1: Yeah, we should definitely cover next time some current uh, emergencies because we're getting ready to deploy down to Paradise.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, you got your work cut out for you there at Paradise. And and my heart and mind goes out to to all the people who lost something up in Paradise. I know there's, even though 65% of the, the city was was affected I think it's more than just 65% of the city that's uh of the residents that have impacted so good luck
1: up there. Cute story on them yeah thank you cute story on them they are not only surviving but they are they're picking up their bootstraps they're doing some great work so I hope that next time we get to share some of the amazing findings and Um, Like I said, I think the mayor and some of the community leaders are going to be joining us for a hackathon this weekend. So, um, so they are—they're getting innovative in a really difficult situation, and we're really excited to have them join us.
0: All right, awesome. Well, I'd love to. I'll talk to you guys later.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Todd.